Coming to you from Podcast Detroit, it's Heard, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Heard is a collaboration between the Hungry Dudes, Nick Drinks, and the Detroit Optimist Society. Each week, we interview industry professionals about issues related to food, beverage, and hospitality. Please take a moment to subscribe to Heard through the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, or however you subscribe to your podcasts. Write a review and let us know what you think. For additional content, including awesome videos and photos, visit HerdPodcast.com, like Herd Podcast on Facebook, and follow at Herd Podcast on Instagram. We appreciate your support and hope you enjoy this week's episode of Herd. Hello, friends, and welcome to Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. I'm Joe Hakeem. And before we get started tonight, Nick and I would like to wish Jason a happy birthday. Jason isn't here. He's out having fun. But let's say happy birthday to Jason. Happy birthday, Jason. Happy birthday, Jason. Hope you're having fun. Were we singing? What were we doing? I'm not not getting your cue right now. You want to sing? No, not really. Okay, then we won't. Okay. That would be bad. (laughs) Terrible. Uh, So I'm obviously joined by Nick. Hello. And kicking off our Bourbon Heritage Month coverage is Mike Forsyth from Detroit City Distillery. Mike, thanks thanks for being here. Thank you. Pleasure. Now, Nick, I uh, admittedly don't know a lot about Bourbon Heritage Month. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about what that is and what we'll be talking about this month. So all of September, it is a celebration of uh, the U.S.'s native spirit, which is bourbon. Uh, Bourbon has a lot of interesting things about it. Uh, what, What grain goes in the bourbon? And how much of it do you need? Wow. I don't know. Corn. But I was going to say that. I was going to say yeah. corn. Yeah. Corn. Native, you know, Native Americans making, you know, bourbon and uh, probably not. But um, yeah, 51% corn makes it a, um, a bourbon along with um, has to be made in the U.S. Uh, doesn't have to be made in Kentucky, just somewhere in the U.S. Um, I believe all 50 states have a bourbon distillery now. I thought I heard that stat somewhere. I would hope so. Yeah. There's even like some like crazy Alaskan and Hawaii one as well. Um, it has to at least touch oak. Um, there's not a timeline, I believe, for that. That's correct. And uh, I think that's it. It's those... got to be white American oh, oak. Oh, white American oak. Ah, yeah. so close. So those four things. So 51% corn, touch the oak, white American oak, and made in the U.S. What is the other 49%? Whatever you want. Really? Uh, it has to be whiskey, though, right? It can't that's be right. a neutral grain spirit. Right. Okay. So I guess there's a couple more rules, but yeah. And it has to be white American oak. That That's correct. Like, so what what does that mean? What else could like you age in that French would, French oak is kind of the other biggie. And what would that make it? I guess a whiskey then. Just whiskey. Yeah. Okay. You could maybe say like a. I, I don't even know if you, could you say bourbon style. No. Yeah. The feds are very particular about that, especially when it comes to bourbon. So yeah, bourbon has a lot of love um, for in the U.S. We have treaties with you know a lot of countries to respect that, and so when we import it, it's not like faked and stuff like that happens. So you know, bourbon has a lot of power, and there's a lot of a, that's a big industry too. Um, so you said that there's a bourbon distillery in every state now. Is that like I believe I'm ninety percent sure I've heard that. There's at least a distillery, if not a bourbon distillery. Is that something new? Like we you said something about it having to be distilled in Kentucky or aged in was that something? And that, uh, that's that just a, a misnomer. Is it? Okay. Yeah. I, that's right, just people just assume that. it has to be in Kentucky and that's not a thing. Is that because there's a lot of big bourbon distilleries in Kentucky? Oh yeah, sure. I mean, and I'm sure they're trying to keep that myth going because they want the tourism and you know, the bourbon trails located there, the urban bourbon trail. So I'm sure they want to keep that going. 
And so speaking of bourbon, uh, Mike, we have this um, butcher's cut bourbon. Yes. Which was – there was a party this past weekend, correct? There was quite the party quite this past the party. weekend. We're still recovering, yes. Still recovering. Yes. That's good. So that that went well, I'm assuming? Yeah, it was great. Okay. And so uh, talk to us about this butcher's cut bourbon, um, the inspiration and where it's available and all that. Sure. So we've been making butcher's cut bourbon for uh, about a year, but this past weekend it went statewide. So part of it being a young new distillery, you know, you need to make sure you have enough bourbon to go out and sell. Um, So we've been building up the stock over the past year. And so we just launched a statewide distribution. So now anybody can buy this bourbon pretty much anywhere. So it's in the liquor book. It's good to go. It's in the liquor book. It's good to go. Um, but you know, it's, it's fun talking about heritage. So everybody's like, well, why do you call it butcher's cut bourbon? So on the bottle is Yogi Jerome. This is the grandfather of our distiller, JP Jerome. Mm -hmm. And Yogi used to be a butcher in Easter market, hence butcher's cut bourbon. And Yogi was like one of the most badass humans of all time. Uh, this is a true story. It's actually on the back of the bottle. Um, Yogi used to be a cooper. Uh, he actually lost his finger making a whiskey barrel. Um, part of the deal when you were a butcher in Easter Market is you interacted a lot with um, relatively shady characters running booze across from Canada, uh, downriver to places like Chicago. He, he used to build cement vaults under chicken coops uh, downriver to store booze. Okay. Um, he traded uh, his Indian motorcycle for a rifle from one of the bootleggers. Okay. So he's just this really cool character, you know, who uh, really started his career as a butcher after World War II in the market. And so that's our connection to our home because we, we live in Eastern Market. And um, so it's it's fun to be able to tell that story and celebrate it through bourbon. So that's our heritage mm-hmm. as it relates to bourbon. And the, the tie is really neat because back when uh, Chaz won the gin competition, yeah. they made a shopkeeper's gin. Because uh, Chaz's grandfather, great grandfather, uh, great grandfather, I think um, he was a shopkeeper in the Metro Detroit area. I don't think Eastern Market, but I'm not positive. No, he was down kind of near Corktown area. Corktown, okay. So yeah. yeah. So when they made this, so he helped kind of pick the botanicals and do the gin, and so they called shopkeepers. So I think it's fun to kind of have butchers cut shopkeepers, you know, florist tequila that's coming next. I'm making that up. I have no idea what's coming next. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Um, so I've seen some of the, uh, the, I don't know, Facebook posts or the ad, uh, campaign Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of, you have a lot of butchers that are actually holding the bottles. Yes. Right. Um, and and so how did they fit into this whole, uh, yeah. So the cool thing about Easter market is it's still an active market in like meat packing district. So there are butchers everywhere in Easter market. I mean, what gives Eastern market is kind of character, um, an identity. So uh, we're good friends with uh, Jenna Bellavender, who's a great uh, mm-hmm. photographer and friend of right. the industry. And so I asked Jenna to come over to the barn. I gave her a case of bourbon. I said, I want you to go around to various butcher shops, give butchers a bottle of bourbon and photograph them working on the job. And so part of it, too, was our way to say thank you for them. Mm-hmm. You know, they put meat on our table quite literally. Like a lot of us, you know, will go to Grey Ghost or wherever and eat this beautiful steak and not think twice about, like, where it actually came right. from. 
So a lot of that stuff, you know, that came from Fairway. Like Gino aged that steak with Himalayan sea salt in the back. And so be able to, you know, say, hey, this means something to us. We appreciate what you're doing. Uh, gave him a bottle of bourbon, invited him to the party. We had quite a few butchers drinking and eating for free wearing bloody butcher aprons. <laughs> that was the deal. And so Jenna really tried to capture, you know, that unique heritage of, you know, being a butcher in Easter Market. Um, and, you know, we got to tell the story of a few of our friends in the process. So that was special. It was a good way, I thought, for us to give back and kind of pay tribute to the folks who've been there for a long time. In some cases, these businesses have been there over 100 years. So so we have Prime and Proper opening up soon-ish. Uh, have you done anything with Walt, Walter? No, I haven't done anything with Walt yet. Okay. But if he's listening, we'd love to. There you go. Shout out. Yeah. Um, so the, the kind of historical significance of this bottle um, is very evident. Uh, and I feel like a lot of spirits, there's a lot more distilleries now um, yeah. that, you, that you're competing against. And even locally, uh, definitely nationally. And bourbon's yeah. a very saturated marketplace. Is there um, any intention of taking that kind of campaign and going further with it? Like, do you, Are you looking to go past uh, Michigan or even Detroit? Yeah, no, that's the plan. So we're uh, we're working on expanding to the Illinois market. That's our first big out-of-state play. We distribute online in 42 states, and we have a small presence in California. But, right, so um, hold on. Let's let's analyze that for a second. Yeah. Why 42? What is tough about the others? They don't allow online distribution ah, of alcohol. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Don't ask me to name them. No, 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 no. I don't. That, uh, that's, but, that's tough. <laughs> yeah. I, it's so funny because even just the other day, I tried to list all 50 states, and it took me longer than it probably should have even with the the song from right. high school or cop bills go anyway but that's interesting so right. there's some that just straight up just say nope no online because they're trying to protect local stuff or just who knows who knows okay you know i mean liquor's a strange business right? oh yeah you know you you look back you know when you started distillery there's a phone book size of regulations and every single sentence has the word tax in it it doesn't even make sense right half the stuff doesn't even make sense there's tax in it but it's just all centered around prohibition right the government wanted to get paid mm -hmm. um you know they're cut uh for alcohol i mean even back in the day uh the stills used to be built there used to be two lock and key where the distiller had mm -hmm. one it's called a spirit safe so when your uh spirits would you know accumulate um, after you do your finishing distillation in the spirit safe, the distiller had a key and the taxman had a key. So you wanted your booze, you had to ask the taxman to come out, measure it, and you had to pay the bill on site. So you had so like both keys. Yeah, had to be like almost like nuclear launch codes. Exactly. Neat. Exactly. Hmm. So how how do you make money off of booze? Like with with are the taxes still pretty heavy? Oh yeah. Yeah. There's actually a chart that I have and I'll try to find it and it has like a bottle of booze and it like shows how much of each of the booze goes to different things. It is are the margins as like slim as Not like restaurant great. margins? Cuz well, I know and there's also price control, right? That's a whole nother issue. Right. Yeah, so, so there's control states, you know, every state is totally different. Uh which makes, you know, expanding complicated. But uh the one of the benefits of being in Michigan, and this is why we have so many distilleries opening in Michigan now, is uh, back I think in the early two thousands, maybe late nineties, they passed legislation uh, to start a small distillery, and you're able to sell your spirits mm -hmm. on site 
in a tasting room. And you don't have to pay the MLCC tax. You don't have to pay a distributor their cut. Uh, you just have to pay sales tax. Um, so the margins are very attractive when you're selling on site. You know, when you're selling into distribution, multiple people need to get paid in multiple ways. We could have a whole other podcast about how yeah. that all works. But uh, it's um, that's one of the challenges. But it's also it's fun to be able to take it to a scale that is meaningful, right? So like selling a bourbon in one of two locations, either our tasting room or the whiskey factory, which we just opened to the public like two months ago. Not It's not as accessible to everyone, right? Now there are, you know, there's butchers who come down and tailgate at the whiskey factory who now bring us a plate of sausage every Lions game and they actually roasted our pig for us. Uh, the guys at Joyview Meats uh, who are excellent and made a damn good pig uh, too. Yeah, they're off Telegraph. Yeah, they're off like, Telegraph. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, close close to our bakery at Ackroyd's. Yeah. Redford, yep. Yeah. Yep. So hmm. really good smoke. Kibasa so let's a, go back to the whiskey room. Yeah. Thing. So where is that and wh- what is that exactly? Uh, the whiskey factory. The whiskey factory. Sorry. Yeah. So the whiskey factory is the former uh, Goebbels Brewery. And after that, the former Stroh's Ice Cream Factory. Oh, yeah. Okay. So Goebbels built this big, beautiful castle of a brewery right there. It was right across the street from where Stroh's Brewery was, right on Gratiot. And in 67, Stroh's acquired Goebbels and leveled everything except the building we're in. So we're the last historic structure on what was like the epicenter of alcohol production in Mm. Detroit. And so they made ice cream there. We're still trying to figure out the exact date. I think to like early 90s, they stopped making ice cream there. Um, And now we're making whiskey there again. Hmm. Right. Stroh's is back making beer down at Brew Detroit. So it's kind of come full circle. So it's a big honor for us to be in a place with so much history. Um, And so to be able to carry that on uh, in our own unique way is really special. You said Gobos? Jobels. Jobels. Depending on how much you drink of it in college. (laughs) Ask your dad. I guarantee you'll know. Got it. Okay. Uh, Or Gobels is how uh, it's said in uh, proper English. All right. Have do you know anything about the mash bill for making that beer or anything? Is it adjunct or is it? Uh, I don't think you can buy Goebbels anymore. I no, don't know I'm anything cur- about yeah. the mash bill. I mean, it yeah. was like a classic, sure, sure, light, very light lager. Which all right, I'm you know, like you could yeah. buy a six pack for ninety nine cents. Is what you know because people come into these tours. Mm-hmm. We have tours every Thursday and Saturday, and everybody's got some connection, right? So. All the old guys, you know, have some story about drinking so much Joe Bell's mm-hmm. in college. Um, and it's the beer they'd buy when they were broke. Um, but, you know, that's there's something good about good cheap beer. Oh, no, totally. And like, where my mind goes is like, could you like find out the mash bill and like make a whiskey as like a tribute to it? Yeah. I'm just wondering, would it be a sake if it's like really ricey? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah. Sounds like a good uh, homework assignment. Yeah, right. Yeah. I'll have to see what I can find. So then you have you essentially have two locations now, right? So you have the Eastern yeah. Market and you have the Grash at the Whiskey Factory. Yeah, so we started – it was also our third year anniversary this past weekend. So we Congrats. made it all about bourbon. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've survived for three years. But uh, yeah, we opened up uh, basically a cocktail bar with a small distillery, like a lab is how I describe it, in the back. Um, so that's an Eastern Market, right in the heart of Eastern Market. And then – so that's about 2,500 square feet, and now we just expanded to almost a 25,000 square foot production facility, which we call the factory. 
uh, the Whiskey Factory, uh, to be specific. Um, Which and, is such a great name. Yeah, I, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, you're in Detroit. You make things. We have a factory. We're making whiskey at it. It's the Whiskey Factory. Right. Yeah, very explicit to the point. And it's, that is totally just set up for tourism, too. Just like, oh, let's do a tour of the Whiskey Factory. That just sounds yeah. so much fun. Like like a River Rouge River plant. Yep. So. Yeah, it's been good. We've uh, we've been having tours, you know, for about two months now and very well received. Um, and we get people from all over. Uh, you know, we've even had some return customers so far. Oh, wow. Um, so it's been it's been good. People, they love the history, um, but then they're super curious about how the stuff is made, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not you, you get to buy the stuff at a grocery store or liquor store or order at a res- restaurant, but to actually see how it's made is something you need yeah. that I think more and more people are appreciating every day. Cool. What is the time frame? I know, I know you said you're trying to build up your um, inventory of yeah. this bourbon. So from start to finish, and kind of take us through the steps of what makes a bourbon and how you how, is it, how it's created in-house for you guys. Yeah, well, let me – I'll start a little bit with our philosophy in terms of just where we are as a business and how we do things. So we're Detroit City Distillery, right? So we've embraced the brand of the city, and our brand in Detroit is making things. Right. And making them at the kind of highest level of American craftsmanship. So right now we're making all our own stuff from scratch. Right. So we're a three year old distillery. We do not have a 10 year old bourbon out right now. Right. Because if we did, we'd be putting in some fancy bottle, making up some fake story and selling these, you know. Now, now not not to like jump in here, but there there are factories or whatever that create the, mm-hmm. that you can buy yes. 10-year-old bourbon yes. from. So you've made the explicit decision not to go down that path and That's kind correct. of like private label some from, was it in Indiana, MGP. right? Yeah. 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 Okay. And there's nothing wrong clear. with mm-hmm. that, just no. to be clear. It's and a choice you made. Yeah. It's a yeah. choice we made. It's just, it was important for us to try to do it the right way. You know, we'll have 10-year-old bourbon if you guys don't drink it all, you know, in 12, 13 <laughs> years. Um and so, yeah, so right now our goal is making the best possible young uh, whiskey using the best possible Michigan ingredients, right? So we're trying to make a good, young, smooth bourbon with the best possible Michigan ingredients. And so that's our philosophy as we are a young company. Now, in terms of how we actually make it, so it all starts with grain. That is the most important uh, part, in my opinion. So... For this, um, the mash bill is about uh, 70% corn, uh, about 25% rye, and then a blend of three different barley. So we have raw barley, and then we have two specialty roasted malted barleys, which are kind of like the secret sauce of craft beer. Um, JP, our distiller, used to work for Bell's. So that's like the brewer's salt and pepper, Mm -hmm. right? You know, you're choosing the specialty malts that kind of bring out all the nuances of the other grains. So we got to... Really beautiful uh, caramel malted barley and a really nice, like, strain of toasted uh, malted barley. And so um, all our grain comes from small organic farms. We get corn from as far southwest, like, Indiana-Michigan border. We've gotten it as close as St. Clair County. Uh, We get our rye from as far north as, like, Grand Traverse Bay. We get some from a sweet little lady in Eaton Rapids. Um, All our grain go through Dexter Mill outside Ann Arbor. So... Right, you get these farms that are selling to Dexter Mill as opposed to a big grain elevator on the commodity market. Mm-hmm. So 
We're getting this really good small batch organic grain. It's getting milled into a flour. Then it goes into a mash tun, which is basically a big pot. You add water, some enzymes, you cook the grain. What you're trying to do is break down the starches to release sugar because that's the fuel for the alcohol, right? So it takes about a day. Um, then you ferment it. You add yeast. Um, you get somewhere between 8 to 12% alcohol. Uh, that takes anywhere from four to seven days, depending on what type of whiskey you're making. Um, and then you distill it. And it's basically two runs on our big 500-gallon pot still that we got down from Louisville, uh, Vendome. First cut, called Low Wines. So it's like your rough draft, like 30% or so. Distill second time, it's about 80%. So so during that first, do you taste during that first, or is there nothing that you can taste there that's going to show quality later on? Well, so there's some experimentation on the front end, right, to like kind of optimize the mash bill. Um, but now, like, we've, we're past that point. But when we're doing, like, weird experimental whiskeys, like, yeah, we're always drinking it. You know, the low wines is, like, pretty rough mm-hmm. and dirty and grainy, and you're, like, it's kind of hard to pick out the nuances. The second distillation, you're looking at kind of three parts of the run. There's the heads, which is mostly methanol, right? So that's the gnarly stuff that smells bad. You drink too much, it'll kill you. That is disposed of. Then there's the hearts, right? That's what goes in the barrel. And then there's the tails, like kind of the dredges of your coffee. Still useful caffeine in it. Tastes like garbage. But, you know. Do you use the heads and tails for anything? Well, we recycle the tails back through because there's still useful alcohol in it. We just clean it up on a future distillation. And the heads are just like waste? Yeah. Okay. It's it's methanol. It's not not useful. And so, um, so yeah, so you definitely can tell um, after that finished distillation kind of what you're getting. And so, um, you know, if we've done a few small batch, uh, like 30 gallon single barrels that we're just trying, like we had a, a smoked bourbon, mm. um, that like tasted out of this world coming off the still, um, and tastes really good out of the 30 gallon barrel. It's only been six months or so. Was that more malty? Or? Uh, yeah. Okay. Malty. We smoked it with a special type of oak mm-hmm. that we use. Um, you know, we did a weeded bourbon, something like more mellow, similar to a maker's mark. Mm -hmm. So you really, you're able to pick out a lot of nuances. Um, and then when it sits in the barrel, you're kind of tasting it at multiple points. And so, uh, butcher's cut's about a year and a half old. Um, we, we blend three to five barrels together just for consistency, um, and kind of optimizing, uh, the taste because every barrel is different too, you know, could come from a different tree or, um, could be closer to the window or whatever. Um, just everything ages just a little bit differently. So, um, so yeah, you're tasting it through various points. And then, you know, for us, we felt like we got, um, we kind of aged it to taste for a young bourbon. Um, you know, we have some that's two years old. We think 18 months is better. Um, and so, you know, that's how we decided to, to bottle it. So, so the other regulation I brought up, and tell me if this is correct, yeah. no caramel, right? For bourbon? No. Okay. So yeah. that color that you're looking at there is all just from the oak. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you could add color to no. something? I don't no, think, no, no. I don't you think could, for bourbon you, you can't. But what, no. Rum you can. Rum you can. And Canadian. And whiskey. Canadian. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm fascinated by this, uh, by the aging process and by, because I think there's like a, like a, almost a cachet that goes along with like, you know, you have your 20, your 10 year. Your fifteen, your twenty, yeah. your thirty, or whatever. Um, 
is there any type of hurdle that you have to jump that that this has aged one year? Yeah. It tastes great. Yeah. I mean, I'm not just saying that because you're in the room. Right. Um, it's also high um, proof too. Yeah, so it's 100 proof, yeah. about a year and a half old bourbon. So you're not getting a lot of alcohol taste, which is that's that's something good for the distiller. Like he's he's doing good stuff if you're not tasting all that that booze in here. Oh, because it, it would burn or something if the with a high alcohol kind of. From what I from what I understand, the more kind of that alcohol taste you have, you have a junkier product. So you have a distiller that doesn't as much know what he's doing. Whereas this, when I was drinking it, I didn't necessarily know it was fifty percent off the bat until I read the the label. Because yeah. most bourbons are forty. I mean, if you're eighty proof, I mean, if you're trying to maximize your money, I feel like most were around forty. Yeah, but the you know if you're if you're proud of your product, you you tend to go a little bit higher. That's from what I've seen. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, you're concentrating more flavor in yeah. it. Um, so the higher the alcohol, the more concentrated the flavor, but also the the tendency to like go overboard and like burn. Like there is like a burn right that that goes along with if you. Oh yeah, and I mean that's part of the appeal. Right, you want that nice warm finish to go, mm-hmm. you know. That's um, that's why people drink whiskey by the campfire. But it's the cost, though. So you yeah. think of if he could have diluted that, you know, it's not ten percent; it's whatever the math works out to be to get to forty percent. Then he would make you'd make more money. Well, we'd have, have more, more product. Ba- yeah, we'd have more products. Yeah. So basically, they're saying, you know, hey, we we trust this, we believe in it. We might charge a little bit more, but we know it's a better product because of that. So we're going to go with a higher proof. What? So I see that there's a batch number and a bottle number. Yeah. Um, what? What is the total amount that's being sold, like in terms of bottles that is available out there? Yeah, I mean we're on batch five right now, um, okay. and so right because we've been selling it mm-hmm. in the tasting room so far, uh, and like I said, I mean so. Right, these are fifty-three gallon barrels. We age in big barrels. A lot of the younger distillers uh, who are making their own product are aging in smaller, hmm. thirty gallon or even smaller so barrels. More surface area, so in theory, it's quicker. Yep. Yeah, and so um, you know, and then we blend between three to five barrels together, and you get uh, roughly around two hundred fifty bottles um, out of a out of a barrel, um, forty-six pack cases. For us, um, roughly, is kind of what we're aiming for. And the longer it sits in the barrel, the, the less whiskey you end up, right? Because the angel share, right? Eventually, some of this whiskey evaporates out of the barrel. Um, and then the general rule is, right? The longer it sits in the barrel, the more it tastes like the barrel. So for us, you know, we take a lot of care where we source our grain from. Um, you know, we want that to come through. So we're making good young bourbon that's grain forward. That um, you know. This is really good corn from like beautiful Grand Traverse Bay and like classic Midwest, mm-hmm. like Indiana, Michigan border. Um, and so it's just it's just really good product. And I mean, that's really what it's all about for us is you know being able to kind of leverage all that Michigan has to offer in terms of agriculture. So second most agriculturally diverse state in the nation. Um, they're even making barrels on the west side of the state now. We got some bourbon Asian. Uh, like Grand Rapids area barrels. Hmm. Um, Who's doing that? Do you know the other company? I don't know the company. Um, oh, it's not Grand Rapids, or sorry, Great Lakes. Is there a Great Lakes Cooperage? I feel like I don't know. Right. Um, I should. Uh, I'll, to, I'll find it. We've been working a yeah. lot with uh, Pilot Malt House oh, out of Grand oh, Rapids, okay. so they're doing some specialty malts for us. You know, that was a lot of stuff we used to have to go to like Brees um, out of Wisconsin to get our specialty malts from. Um, and yeah, even right down the street, Matt's Detroit Stillworks building stills in Ferndale. So I mean, that's like 
the whole industry's kind of coming and rallying around, right? Beer's been such a big business in Michigan. Everybody's kind of coming on board uh, for whiskey. So I think Michigan's set up for the long term to be a great whiskey state. I really, really do. There's this thought that um – Especially like in food and beverage, that like local doesn't always mean better. But you yeah. guys have you guys are going all in on the local with a lot of confidence too. It seems like because you guys are like distilling large amounts or you know a good size amount, yeah. right? Um, is this something that like has local always been the focus that you guys have had? Like you have other always products as well. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's why we're in Eastern Market, right? We have access to farmers who come from all over the region. Our core customer travels to Eastern Market every Saturday, right? They care who made it. They care where the grain came from. Um, and so, uh, you know, support local doesn't always mean better, but for us, it just is what it is. And we're not shy about that. Um, that's just how we want to do things. And so we try to be real upfront and transparent about what we do and what we don't. Um, and so, yeah, that's uh, that's our goal because, you know, when you drink this whiskey – uh, this cork uh, came from a uh, thumb area. Hmm. Uh, you're supporting a farmer growing corn, a farmer, you know, growing rye. Pilot Malt House is a new business. You're supporting them. Uh, pretty soon you're going to be able to support, you know, Coopers in Michigan. Um, so, yeah, you're supporting a bunch of Detroiters who are bottling it um, after hours listening to heavy metal in a basement of a factory. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, that's just what you get. Kind of bummed the cork doesn't come from Corktown. It would make sense. It should. <laughs> Someone's right. going to open up a little cork factory. No, probably not. There's probably no money in making corks unless you're making 20 billion of them. Yeah. No, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know how you make money off of cork. It's hard enough to make money out of, off a bottle of whiskey, to be just, quite honest I was just with you. I going to say I mean, that. Like, this, is, this doesn't seem like a very lucrative kind of uh, – You don't get this doing this for money, I feel like. No. You don't get into baking for money either. You're not rolling in money? No. Not rolling in dough. <gasps> no, I'm not. You know, that's the – so, you know, my previous life before I started a distillery, I was a small business director for the city of Detroit. Okay. And so there's – I always just – there's always this misnomer that like, oh, small business owners are rich. Being mm-hmm. an entrepreneur is so sexy. No, nah, I mean I was cleaning from 6 to 8 a.m. Yeah. after not sleeping after our party. What you know, I, it's like yeah. it's 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 amazing. It's incredibly rewarding but – um you know, it's it's hard to make money. Uh, it it really, really is. You got to work really hard, and you need to work really hard for a really long time, and not pay yourself for a really long time because you're putting all the money back into the business. My my dad owns his own business. It's just him, yeah. and he, he. I remember him always telling me like, "I have to play unemployment insurance. I am the only employee. If I'm unemployed, there is no company." <laughs> <laughs> There's like a lot of expenses that go into things that you don't get. Right. Right. So it's fine. Yeah. yeah, it's not the luxurious kind of life like selling meat pies is not all luxury it's not see i don't even know if i guess yeah no it's not just haggis salesman just doesn't sound like a rich (laughs) lucrative position anyway according to the u.s government there's 20 million dollars in haggis that could be imported into the country haven't seen that not even not even a percentage yeah you can import it all you want and just put it in a warehouse (laughs) right exactly so, okay, so back to the original question yes. of the, the kind of hurdle to jump over with yeah. the, the aging process, yes. right? So if someone looks at this and says, oh, age one year, this has got to – this like, It's junk. It's junk, right? Yeah. And where, where's my 20-year-aged you know, 20 year aged bottle of whatever? Yeah. Um, how, do you, how do you reach that person? 
can you reach that person? So that's a really good question. And that's the core question that I think a lot of craft distillers are struggling with because the it's a very old industry, right? So born in Kentucky, right? There's just a handful of bourbon distillers that have been around forever. Mm-hmm. And they have ingrained in the American psyche that bourbon comes from Kentucky and that older bourbon is better. Um, Which is behooves them because they're the ones with the older product. Exactly. And so – but I mean – we're not using like mass produced GMO corn that is like barely even like a living, breathing organism. You know, it's like just a collection of chemicals at that point, right? And when you drink it, it tastes like it. And so, you know, it's, I think. Do you use GMOs in your product? No, no. <laughs> uh, we do not. Um, but, you know, I think that's a hard thing. And, you know, now that there's more and more craft distilleries opening, the real challenge is, is to be able to tell your own story. And so you're you're caught in this kind of tricky spot of like, well, I could just source a bunch of bourbon that is six or ten years old from MGP out of Indiana um, and sell it, and pe- I wouldn't even have to deal with that problem. And frankly, it would be a hell of a lot easier to do. Or I could go through this whole process of getting local grains and getting them milled and doing all this other stuff um, to try to make a really good one-year-old bourbon. So it's tough. Um, And I think now, though, I think consumers are becoming more educated and know that older doesn't always mean better. Um, A lot of it is the quality of the grain. Um, And I think, too, more and more people want like a true authentic story when they drink a whiskey, right? They don't want some just brand that has no real story behind it. And that's not to say that there aren't some amazing stories and amazing old brands out there. That is absolutely true. And, you know, I'll drink wild turkey till the Mm -hmm. days come home. But, um, you know, I think new craft distillers, as they try to get out there and try to position themselves, you know, you're selling a story in addition to a spirit. And so part of that story for us is, you know, good local quality ingredients from Michigan. Do do you find yourself competing with these kind of these brands that like I don't know, I've never had Pappy, right? No. And, and I, I know Pappy is like this kind of like uh unicorn or whatever. Yes and no. Because well, a lot of that, you go back to story, a lot of that is just that rarity. Like you try Pappies against some of the other brands, especially some of the other weeded bourbons, and you're like that's okay. Well, and this is, and this is going to be my point, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I really enjoy this, yeah. right? I, I really like this. And um, I can't, for the life of me, think that Pappy, you know, barring, you know, saying that I haven't tried it, is going to be that much better that it would demand the price point difference, right? I mean, Pappy so, has some great marketing going behind it. That's what I'm saying. I mean, they come out once a year. There's this mad dash. There's this huge price. And there are people that want to get it just to say they got it. What, what is what is this retail for? This, uh, the butcher's this is going for fifty in the book. Right it's a steal. I think book. it's good. Yeah, yeah. So what does that mean in the book? Like that means that no, like, it's like you, the minimum to, shelf price. Minimum is shelf price forty nine dollars ninety six cents. Okay, for you. That's so, what you would and, and yeah. what what is uh, on the low end of the aging scale? What does a bottle of Pappy go for? I think twelve is sixty, maybe eighty. Okay, but it still flies. 
Oh god, it it doesn't stay on the shelf for longer than yeah, just a day. because of the the just old pappy. dude just on the pappy. label. Well, because they even they're all. I mean, there's five or six different bottles, if we even get it all in the state. Mm-hmm. So it's that limited. Okay. Yeah, but it's on purpose. Oh, it's I get totally it. On purpose, I, I, yeah. I understand. I understand mm-hmm. that part of it. Um, and, and so this, and I, I think I want to extend out the issue of like the the you said something about tasting room and like being able to sell your own yeah. bottles there. Um, are you able to sell your bottles out of the bar as well? Yeah, of, you are. So it's a tasting it's a room. Tasting room it's a tasting room, but you make cocktails. T- yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it is a full-on cocktail bar, so you get to experience everything. But, yeah, you can buy a bottle to go out of there all day. Is it easier to sell after someone's had a couple cocktails? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> now, can you mix with uh, other products? Um, So, like, if you want to make a Negroni, could you right. bring in Campari? No, I mean, you have to use all your own Got it. stuff. Okay. No, I'm just because I, I feel like that's a license Distinguishation. Yeah, I mean, it's, I would say it's a gray area. Okay. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, I mean, part of the challenge, you know, I used to work for government is, you know, government writes the rules for small businesses, Mm -hmm. right? You know, I think maybe the government would be a little bit better if they spent a little bit more time working service industry at a bar. Um, We could talk longer about that. But, um, you know, so I think there's some nuance and there's always like growth in the industry. But and this is where, you know, you ask the question like, well, who wouldn't allow online distrib- distributing? I don't know. The government. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is interesting, though, because I've tried to interview them a number of times. Yeah. And I always get shot down. The them cl- being who? The uh, government? Yeah. Like the Laura, like the MC. What's the? The licensing and regulatory affairs yeah. so like and it's a it's a board i want to say there's a couple different people on there there was a new guy that got elected like a year ago and i caught i like got to him before he was like in the office and he's like yeah i'll talk to you and like as soon as he got in he was like nope can't talk to you now well the, the larger i mean the huge issue at least with the government people i've dealt with through the baker even is that they don't understand every every no. nuance of their business mm. of, of what, what they're dealing with on a on a daily basis um i i can't imagine that with liquor they're even there, there's such a multitude of understanding that needs to happen they're not even close to it well it's such a cash cow too a yeah, lot of michigan's budget is paid through liquor just on just based off sales the tax the, the tax, tax that goes in okay there, yeah yeah so they don't want to give that up i mean it's a, it's kind of a business to them yeah i mean there was a push uh last year to reduce uh, the liquor tax on smaller manufacturers, um, but that didn't go anywhere. But I mean, there's like a big lobbying effort. You know, I think all the the sweet thing about this industry, I think you know everybody plays pretty well together. So you know, everybody pitched in to try to make our case um, and hire lobbyists and whatnot. But uh, is yeah, that Diana's group? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> You, I mean, we're talking about already that the, the margins are tight. Yeah, and you got you're talking about hiring lobbyists. That's not that 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 seems like a bullshit way of having to do do your job. It's not the best way to spend your money. Remember right? how we talked about him cleaning up after the party? Well, I know yeah, that's what no, I'm saying. I mean, like, there there is much better ways to spend your money that you have to. And I'm not saying this from like a perspective of like, of course, you want the taxes to be sure. lessened, but. Obviously, the taxes should be less. And I'm the, I'm the guy not producing thousands of barrels a year, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, the cost benefit, what, you know, it would be a huge payoff if it actually went through. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, that's a big, that is the challenge of opening a small distillery because you are opening a manufacturing business. 
you are opening a wholesale business. Uh, in our case, right, we have a bar, mm-hmm. so we're dealing with service, and we have a retail aspect to it too because we're selling bottles to go. So it's four different businesses in one, right? And so, you know, it's challenging. You have to deal with uh, glass manufacturers not getting product over here in time, um, right? Uh, it rained a lot. So, you know, the rye's not, you know, grown as fast as here and harvest is delayed and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's so many different nuances that go into it. And then, you know, it's also a very capital intensive, uh, labor intensive business, um, you know, especially the way that we do it. So, yeah, it's been to get to three years feels actually surprisingly good uh, to be able to get to that. And, you know, now it's to the point where it actually feels like a real business, you know, when we're you know, distilling, like it would take us 11 times on our 50-gallon pot still to get a barrel of whiskey. Like that just distillations. Yeah, that makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> what, is, what does that mean, though, in terms of like waste and loss and all that? Like is there, what does that mean? So it's basically like, it's kind of like a 10 to 1 situation. So like, like we have a 500-gallon fermenter. So we got 500 gallons of wash going in. Uh, you know, the 500 gallon still at Stroh's and it distills down to a 50 gallon hmm. clear white whiskey, mm-hmm. right? So if we got a 50 gallon still that we're dealing with in the tasting room, we're getting five gallons of whiskey out for one distillation. And plus we're like pa- playing Tetris to move everything in and out of the wow. little lab in the back. So, you know, now it's, it's to a point now where it feels like a real business at a legitimate scale and we can make enough bourbon now to matter. Um, that's what people want, you know, especially this time of year. Yeah. It's uh it's whiskey drinking season this time of year. Well, and you guys had a really wide range of gins, I feel like, too. Yeah. Especially with kind of that summer series that you did and Well, we just love gin. Yeah. Like when we drink so much bourbon, like over the fall and winter and like it starts to warm up, like it's time to drink gin. Yeah. So we just make whatever we want. Um and so Roger Froon has mm. a new gin coming mm. out. Uh Bell River. Okay. Um but it's it is like a fall gin. Uh, it's barrel aged. Um, I don't want to spoil too much for Roger, so I won't say when's too much. The, when's the release? Is there a, a tentative range? Uh, it will most likely be in the month of October. Okay. And Roger's from Peterborough, right? Yeah. Sugar House. Yeah, I'm trying to think of this right now. Group. Yeah, Peterborough yeah. sounds yeah. right. Yeah. Um, okay. So one of the things that keep coming up in all of our podcasts is an issue of staffing. Yes. So you 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 just said you have four different businesses, right? Yep. You have to staff all four of those places theoretically. Yes. How do you hire a person who can make drinks, sell bottles, uh, do these things that that's one person, right? Then you have someone you have to hire someone working the distillery. Then you have to hire someone working the factory. Someone to give the tours necessarily, unless yeah. you're doing it, which I imagine, given you know low margins you're probably giving the tours yourself right oh i am absolutely giving the tours on saturday <laughs> yeah. yes i thought so yeah yeah <laughs> so how do you hire people uh yeah i mean it it's all about finding good talent um which is harder and harder with all the new places opening in detroit um but honestly it's people who are just passionate about the business and the process and so like cole levy our bar manager now was a regular when we first opened. She is one of the most amazing humans on the face of the planet. Um, you know, and she has worked up from bartender to bar manager. She's doing more sales stuff now. She's producing more events. Um, and so, like, 
right now, like, I want to hire the best bar back possible. I want to hire somebody who's super hardworking, who cares, who's, like, willing to do anything, who can now learn every single part of the business and work their way up um, to bar manager one day so that Cole can move on to do more brand ambassador stuff or, you know, so somebody else can learn the whole process so they can do tours on Saturday instead of me so I can have a weekend off once in a while. Um, you haven't earned that yet. It's no, only been three years. No, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's just um, – and two, a big part of it is like just – trying to have the best environment for that person to grow because you know, especially in the service industry, that they're going to move on to the next big thing and you want that for them. So, you know, you work on training the best possible staff. When they leave, you say, awesome, kill it. Um, I expect a drink when yeah. you open and then next person up. next, you right. know, And that's why you hire the best barbacks possible. Uh, that's why I always like have huge respect for the Oakland because, you know, they – train their bar back so rigorously and i mean you know people take an oakland bar back to be a bar manager almost anywhere now i give sandy crap about that just recently I'm yeah like, you know you train like all of detroit he's like that's not our goal yeah. we're just trying to have good people it is hard but um yeah i mean it's uh it's great to see people climb up the ranks that's what you want to help grow the industry mm-hmm. right that's what we need in detroit right now really is yeah. is really strong training in all places and being supportive of people moving up and moving on so what's the goal then with the bourbon, the distillery, like all these things? Like, so you have a one-year aged bourbon here. Yeah. Do you expect to have a 10-year, a 15-year, a five-year? Like what, what, what do you – what's yeah. the goal here? So uh, like our oldest barrel of whiskey right now is four years old. Um, you know, we want to do some probably single barrel releases. Um when some stuff starts coming of age and yeah, I mean, I think I'd love to have a six year and an eight year and a 10 year, um, at some point, uh, that just seems so far away. The, the, the business requires a huge degree of patience, uh, which is very, very hard. Um, but it's just reality if you want to do it the right way. Yeah. So we're just trying to stick it out for the long haul, um, and keep doing things the way we think they should be done, which are hopefully right most of the time. And, um, Make a good product that people can relate to and that they like. So if you're making a good young bourbon, right, and that's your goal, how do you extend it out and make a good aged bourbon? Is there any way to, to like, guard against um, in five years this butcher's cut becoming a shit bottle of bourbon? I mean, you just are always tasting it to see. You it's know, a tough some, job. Some, I know. I mean, some <laughs> stuff gets over-oaked, though. You know, like, I don't like an overly-oaked. Uh, bourbon. So, and then you get the blending. Then you get the guy. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So, if it tastes great at four years, it might have a four-year bourbon. If it tastes like garbage at six, but tastes great at eight, we'll figure out how to make that work. So, but that's a that's a long that's a right. six to ten year problem from now. So, I'm not <laughs> even gonna think about it. I got enough problems to think about. So, I'm a huge, huge fan of uh, amaros and liqueurs. Yes. Are you gonna tiptoe into any of those regions? Um, we may. Okay. I'm not going to say much more because I don't know much more, but right. we've had some conversations. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. But, I mean, it's fun. Yeah. We just like to get weird. Mm-hmm. Like, whatever we like to drink, we like to try to make. And cool. that's, like, the beauty of funding a distillery. I'm waiting for someone to do vermouths around Detroit. I've heard rumors, but nothing yet. Is, yeah. is there any... There's no, if bourbon's not lucrative, is vermouth lucrative? No. God, no. <laughs> There's no way vermouth is... <laughs> 
most people don't even know how to keep it, much less use it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I have no, I would have no clue. Yeah. I don't have vermouth at home. I'm sorry. And if you did, it probably would have been sitting in the corner covered in dust. Probably. Yeah. You probably have like 40 bottles though. I do have a lot of bottles. <laughs> <laughs> my wine fridge is more vermouth than it is wine. Uh, my, okay. So let, let's go through the, the kind of uh, where can people find uh, Detroit State Distillery, um, the whiskey factory, yes. um, and, and that like in the physical location. Yeah. So Tasting Room is an Easter market, 2462 okay. Riapel, uh, right behind Vivios, a uh, few right. drinkers out there. Um, the Whiskey Factory is at 1000 Maple, which is directly across from Crane's Communication, uh, right off Gratiot, um, which is right between Easter Market and downtown. Uh, business hours? Yeah. So um, for the factory, uh, we are only open to the public on Thursdays uh, at 6 for tours only. Um, and Saturday, uh, we have tours at 12, 2, and 4. Do people have to book them ahead of time? Yep. You can go okay. on our website, DetroitCityDistillery.com. Um, and then uh, the bar tasting room is open uh, Tuesday through Sunday. Uh, times vary. Um, Tuesday. Sometimes in the morning. Yep. We still do Saturday brunch we at, open at yeah. 10 a.m. Yeah. Do you do brunches still? Uh, we're doing a really awesome vegan brunch uh, with electric plates. When? Sundays. Uh, Every Sunday? Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, Saturday we open at noon to 6. Okay. Um, we have really good Filipino food on Tuesday. We have sushi on Wednesday. Um, and my buddy Godwin is singing really good, like West African Caribbean food on Thursdays. Who's doing your Philippine, Filipino food? Uh, Jay and Marietta. Oh. Um, Kusina. Okay. Um, nice. yeah. Marietta knows. And social media. Yeah. Detroit City Distillery, um, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, there's lots of good pictures of butchers drinking bourbon on there right now, awesome. uh, which is highly entertaining. But it's a really great way to see all the events and stuff we're doing, too. We got a lot coming up. Easter Market After Dark, Murals in the Market. Cocktail Classic. Cocktail Classic. Oh, yeah. yeah. When is Cocktail Classic? November, mid-November. I okay. just started talking about some stuff. Yeah. Okay. As long as it's not September, we have like three days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't have events. So Butcher's Cut is now available at your local... Kroger... Holy crap. Oh, Congrats. Shit. Good. Yeah. Great. Um, That's awesome. Hopefully Myron Spring. Nice. Um, yeah. So, um, I mean, this stuff is selling like wildfire right now. So uh, if you go to your local liquor store and it doesn't have it, ask for it. Um, or just trek down to the distillery. Yeah, because right? you get more money, yeah. right? Yeah, but I like we like when our friends make money too. So, sure. yeah. Yeah. Go. Please do support all, all our supporters at your local liquor store. Um They've been great to us. Um, we've had great reception rolling this bourbon out, so people are really excited about it. Um, yeah, multiple places down the street here on Alum Mile, everywhere. So Awesome. Mike, thank, congratulations yeah, thank uh, you. on the bourbon release. Thanks for being here tonight. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Until next time, dine.